Hey everyone, thanks for coming back. We had Wendy Mamer today, uh, great, great guest today. We're gonna get into her story a little bit. She did TED Talks and, and uh, is gonna go work for the helpline here this coming week. But uh, Ben, how you been? I've been well, sir. Good, good, Really good. excited, it's spring. I love the spring. Spring has sprung, a little late this year. A little bit late and usually, and it's already hitting a little bit, right? We uh, go from winter to summer. Yep. So today's gonna be 90 degrees. Ben, are you a gardener? I was at my old uh, my old place when I only had infant children. Now okay. I have older children. I I don't. Is are they not interested or are you not interested? I can't keep up with it. Got it. Like I I was a five box gardener. Oh, so I had five boxes. Each one they're like four by fours. No kidding. Yeah, and we just we just did stuff that we ate. So it yeah. was all like lettuce, green beans. Uh, by the end of it, I only had a couple tomato plants because I'm the only one in our family that eats tomatoes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we had hot peppers. Yep. Uh, we had some cilantro. Yeah. We had some dill. So just things that, that we are consistently eating. And the best harvest I, that we had was always the different kind of lettuces, green leaf, yes, cabbage. Like we just, the best part about those is that they just keep growing. Yeah. Right? So you chop them down a little bit, they grow. And yeah. we had, we had salad in the summer, like that's good twice a week. And it's, it's right out of your garden. That's good. That's so good. good. Are you a gardener? Yeah. Well, like much smaller scale than what you were. That's probably why I didn't get burnt out of it. So we keep doing it every year, but we do have like this little four by eight raised book garden bed. Yeah. That, and I, I have like this plastic fencing around it that I've got to replace now because I need to go metal because the rabbits, but we are getting puppies. So hopefully that will be a little bit rabbit control. If you have them outside, he, those bunnies will stay away. Cause I, we lost our dog a couple years ago and we have, we are ravaged with bunnies now. So yeah, same thing though on ours. I mean, I like the hot peppers, so I try to do the bell peppers, and I can never get them to grow right. But the jalapenos, for some reason, those are the things that I can. I mean, I can make those. You can grow those. I can grow those. That and tomatoes. Um, the tomato plants, like our first year, we were really optimistic on how much space there was in the garden, so we had just overgrown on everything. Yep. It was a lot of fun, but it was just you know, it was a good experiment. So. Do you compost? We do not compost. What do you put in your soil every? Spring. Uh, I don't know. My neighbor's really into it as well. Scott, he does a great job at, uh, you know, following, you know, helping me out and figuring out what, what he brings you like the right stuff you should yep. do to keep your soil. Yep. Cause if you're in a box, right? Like the soil yep. you have is the soil you have. Exactly. And Scott grew up on a farm, so he'll go down and grab like a tiller and that kind of stuff. He'll bring it home. He's from Yankton area. So he's been an awesome neighbor. I'm pretty sure he's a rocket scientist. He works on satellites, but but he or tells designs, you he works on satellites. Design satellites. But he but mostly does rocket scientists. I think he's a rocket scientist. Just Hopefully for America. Yeah. Yeah. For, well, pretty sure. You don't ever know these days. You never know. You never know. Like if I was if I was a an enemy of the United States, I'd just be living in middle America yeah. pretending I was the best neighbor ever yep. and telling you that I work at for satellites. Right. That's a really good point. So Scott, if you're listening to this, we're on to you, bro. Whew. Got some questions for Scott. Uh, we we have a. Um, I just want to talk briefly because even though this will already have passed when we do this episode, we've got a very exciting couples party coming oh, up this weekend. So exciting! Um, I stole this from a previous guest, Mr. Matt Birch, where he brought in like five or six couples that know the host couple, but maybe don't necessarily know each other intimately. And so we have uh, four other couples coming to our house. One is Ryan and Pam Cons. Uh, and there's the theme. And the theme this year is ask your 10-year-old self what you would be when you grow up. So this will have already passed. Um, do, you, do you want to tell the people yeah, you, what you, you dressed up as? Yeah, yeah, you go first. Okay, I'll go first. So when I was 10, I loved going to the supermarket with my mom. Yeah. 
And my favorite thing was to watch a talented, because there's a difference, a talented bagger. Yep. A person that bags your groceries. Yes. When they're talented and they know what they're doing, yes. right? Double bagging like milk or double bagging like if you buy some pickles and some of the heavy jar stuff, you're double bagging that. You're putting the right stuff with the right stuff right. like cereal, cereal and chips go together. Like just so that when you get home, you're just taking the whole bag and you're... You're just putting it away very easily, and it's and you're not using a bajillion bags. Probably one of the most underrated artists in highly underrated, and bags. probably underpaid. Oh, for sure. So when I was ten, I wanted to be a grocery store bagger. So yeah. I will be dressing as that. So I went. I was going to go a couple different directions. I was going to do the first like when I was ten. I was convinced that I was going to be the first four sport professional athlete. Mm-hmm. So I was going to come in a mixture of hockey, football, baseball, and basketball equipment. And then I realized that's a lot of equipment. <clears throat> so then I was, then I decided, I also was obsessed with Dave Copperfield. So I will be going as a magician. Wow! Are you yeah. bringing any tricks? Yeah, I think I'm gonna try to do like three or four tricks that are just like kind of corny and cheesy. Oh yeah, and I'm gonna act totally creepy. Oh, it's gonna be so. The one good. thing I don't have that I really want to have is a cape, but I haven't figured out. Yet. If I, you jumped, well, I I can't assume like Savers has a cape. I think uh, you'd have to order point. it by now. Yeah, Amazon's pretty quick. I do have Amazon Prime. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they have capes. I'm sure they have capes. Okay. I mean, I have a cape. It's a child cape. It's not black, though. But I think it's all red. Well, that'd probably work. I might be talking to you about that later. Okay. So we're doing that because, one, couples, uh, if you have kids, you need to get away from your kids. You need to meet new people. Two, when you do the, when you do the uh, theme, then everyone's going to come looking ridiculous. And it just, that immediate kind of awkwardness goes away because you can just make fun of what right. people are dressed up or ask them a simple question which is well what are you are you a are you a walmart <laughs> greeter is that what you wanted to be and then i get to talk about how i wanted to be yep. a bagger yeah that's so good so, so good. um we have awesome guests prepared for you guys uh keep listening she's coming up next uh wendy mamer has an awesome story and wendy um talks about her own experience with suicide within her family uh she talks about her uh passion for mental health and we try to destigmatize some of those things that surround mental health um and she talks about her new career which is going to be with the helpline here in south dakota which is a wonderful resource 211 is what you call uh if you need to find just a resource if you're dealing with something mentally so those are a few things that i got out of there ryan what are what what should why should the people continue to listen to this episode well i think uh if you haven't already at some point go back and listen to her ted talk it is very well done she's a very well spoken uh person she's also running for politics um so that would be another reason just just get to know her and get to know who which people are out there and passionate about politics in south dakota yep so enjoy this episode Welcome back to the Mandate Podcast, a podcast where we encourage people towards deeper relationship through meaningful conversation. A podcast where you'll get to know people from the 605. Here's our latest episode. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Mandate Podcast. I am your Co-host Ben Krush, always by my side, is the Ryan Pros and Cons. Cons. Cons, what's up, my man? Mr. Ben Krush, you're about an octave lower today. How are you doing? 
I am doing great. <laughs> How are you? You sound good. Do I? Like yeah. I just smoked a pack of cigarettes? Yeah. It's like maybe it's my, I got. I just got my teeth cleaned. Maybe that's what it is. You rip heaters when you clean your teeth or what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I rip heaters the whole yeah, time. Because yeah. I, br- I want my breath to smell good. Bourbon. Nothing and smells better than Bourbon and heaters. Clean cigarette. Wow. I have horrible asthma. I've, I've smoked one cigarette in my entire life, and it, it almost put me down on my knees. So we've had beautiful weather, but yes, that's also great bloom season for you. Yep. So welcome. Yep. Thank also, you. Uh, you're looking nice again. Thank you. Obviously, the fasting in 75 Hard is going well. 75 Hard is going great. Good. Uh, Good. My teammates that are in it uh, are doing great as well. We've had a couple hiccups, but for the most part, everyone's doing a really nice job. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Are you in the lead? You're a little competitive. Uh, yeah, I'm likely in the lead. Yeah. It's likely between me and and uh, the uh, J.D. Kessler. Shout yeah, out J.D. Kessler. Uh, you know, I love J.D. Kessler, but you're going to smoke him. Yeah. He's hyper competitive, too. He is. He is. Yep. I'm golfing with him on Monday. Are you? Yeah. That'll be great. Yeah. He's a great golfer. That he probably is. won't end up well for you. Yeah. we. You know, it's not. It's more his skill than his personality that we're pulling right. him in. So. Right. Yep. Great Are guy. you going to the country club? Oh, uh, no. No, not fancy enough. We're going to Willow Run to support... Hmm, Feisty Fighters this week or next week. So Awesome. Feisty so it's a scramble. Great. Yes, scramble. Oh, that'll be fun. You great want a guy like JD. Yes. One of your scramble yeah. guys, especially off the tee. He's he's there for the long ball. Yeah. Dude, and dude, and dude, the chips puns. and the butts. So, I mean, he's pretty much the carry the team. Did you say the butts? Putts. Oh, I was like, he's a happily married man. <laughs> <laughs> he's there for the chips and the putts. Chips and the guac. Hey, how about, how about we talk about what we're here for today. Absolutely. We have a very, very special guest. Uh, she has been uh, represented at the uh, the local TEDx TED Talks here in Sioux Falls. She gave an awesome, awesome, uh, compelling um, chat about her story, uh, which we'll get into a little bit. Uh, she's a former employee of a, a local university, the Augustana University, not the college, the university. Uh, and uh, she is going to be starting with a wonderful nonprofit here in town uh, very shortly, uh, which is Helpline. I am here to introduce the, the, the Wendy Mamer. Yes, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. We're so excited you're here, Wendy. Welcome and excited to get into it. Why don't you just hop right into it, uh, introduce yourself, tell mandatees kind of a little bit about you, where you come from, and then we'll get into it. Yeah, so I was born in Esquintla, Guatemala, and I was adopted when I was four months old by my parents. They were and are the most amazing people in the entire world. So my dad was a farmer. My mom was a teacher. So I grew up on a farm just outside of Lake Benton, Minnesota. Um, So it's relatively close to the South Dakota Mm -hmm. border, just just across the border. Um, And I attended Russell Tyler Ruthen High School. Um, After I graduated high school, I moved to South Dakota to attend um, what was then Augustana College, as you referenced. (laughs) My mom was an alum, and so I was super excited to continue her legacy at Augie. And um, when I was there, my dad um, was diagnosed with severe depression and anxiety. And so it was really difficult for our family to navigate that situation that was so um, uncertain to us with the future and what it would look like. And so I ended up transferring to Southwest Minnesota State University in Marshall, just because it was really close to the farm that I grew up on. I could help at home, go back if I needed to. And just to be closer um, was really, really nice. And so I graduated from Southwest Minnesota State in 2016 
And um, after graduation, I worked for the Sioux Falls Sky Force. So I was their on-court MC, And I actually did that for five years. I just had my retirement season. So I'm done now. <laughs> um, but yeah. And then um, after that, I started at a psychiatric residential treatment center for youth here called Summit Oaks with Lutheran Social Services. So I worked there for um, about a year and a half. And while I was there, um, my dad uh, died by suicide. And mm. so that um, that line of work was really difficult for me just because um, I was hearing about suicidal ideation um, pretty frequently. And obviously, you can't disclose what, what you're going through. And so it was just really hard to draw those personal boundaries. So I knew for my own well-being, it was um, probably the right decision to look for some something different. And so that's what led me to Augustana. And I was there for almost four years. And it was truly like the best experience of my life. I got to meet so many incredible students and and faculty and just Augustana, the community as a whole is just really second to none. So mm -hmm. it was, it came at the exact time in my life that I needed it. And now I feel like I've gotten to a place where I can really go back to leaning into the mental health advocacy and suicide prevention work. So I'll be joining the helpline on Monday as their, um, as a support counselor, but it'll be facilitating and leading their survivor of suicide loss program. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Wendy, um, let's, I mean, first of all, if I, if I need to promote it again, go on YouTube or jump on, uh, to, I think, it, is it Ted SF or Ted Sioux Falls? Don't they have their own website? I think where it's you can TEDx, TEDx, TED, yeah, and then you can look up like the communities that they're in. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then go to Sioux Falls and check out Wendy's talk. Um, we're going to go a little bit more, uh, probably to the left or to the right of that. Uh, but you can get really the, the, the raw, raw emotion. And that's why uh, we invited Wendy on was to to just explain a little bit more to mandatees. I mean, our audience is primarily like 18 to 35, 60% mm -hmm. female, 40% male. And, and mental health is out front now. I mean, yeah. it is not something that's in the dark. Yeah. And you have an experience with that. So let's start there. Uh, the question I have is, uh, were you an only child, Wendy? No, I had... I have three siblings. So are they younger? A younger brother, okay. an older brother, and an older sister. Okay. And we were all adopted. So none of us are biological, mm -hmm. but. So, and the only reason I asked that was I, I guess I was starting to correlate. Um, the toughest time for a lot of marriages and for parents is when like their kids head off to college. Mm -hmm. So maybe that wasn't the case with your dad of, of having that trigger point, but were there some, were there just some things you, you saw uh, while you were on the farm uh, or while you were living with your dad that were like, oh, that's that's just a little bit off? No, I it honestly completely caught me off guard. I was gone for a weekend and my mom had been noticing some changes over time. Um, and but I, I really hadn't. And I felt like it was because I was still in kind of like a selfish place where I wasn't really paying as close of attention sure. as I as I should be. But a lot of children are like that and so oh, yeah. I, that yes. was yeah. definitely kind of um what I embodied at the time as well but um I I think a lot of it is something that not a lot of people know but that I, I talk about in my TED talk is how the correlation between farming and depression and how farmers um really really do have um 
uh, a need for mental health support. And I don't, I, I didn't have any idea until my dad had passed away that that was such a, um, such a concern within the farming and ranching community. And so that's why um, it's really important for me to highlight that aspect whenever I do share his story, just because when I shared it with our community and started my advocacy work, it was mind blowing to me how many people came up to me and were like, my husband I think is experiencing that same thing and I had no idea. I didn't have any words to put towards his emotions or what he was feeling or what we as a family were going through. And so I really think that the highs and lows of farming had a lot to do with his peaks and valleys too. So my dad was inpatient um, here in Sioux Falls at Avera Behavioral Health three times. And every time was around either planting season or harvest season. And so um, that I think, I mean, there's nothing to say for sure what the correlation is, but it's just really interesting to me that at the peak stressful times in a farmer's um, year that's when he would end up being placed in inpatient treatment and so um some of the signs that we saw when we just knew i mean it was it became really hard for him to make decisions that he had been so um that had just come second nature to him for like his whole life and so he he'd farmed for over 50 years so my dad's dad died in a tractor accident on our farm Mm. And so he took over the farm when he was 14, when he was in eighth grade. And so he'd been farming, I think, by the end of it for 53 years. So a really, really long time. And suddenly those decisions that he was so used to making became more difficult, which was very, very odd. And he was super outgoing and so would be very engaging. We had family dinner every night at six o'clock. And suddenly he started to become really withdrawn and didn't really say much. Um, And then on top of that, he didn't eat much at dinner, which was just, it it was behaviors like that, that we were like, this is weird and something is not right. And then it got to the point where he would just pace back and forth up and down the halls of our house. And it, it was just, you could tell something was really hurting him, but you just didn't know what. And we just didn't know what to do mm-hmm. so yeah i think with with where we live uh, anybody who's listening to this probably has some connection to a farm or knows somebody who's been in farming and so i think that's you know a really uh, interesting perspective mm-hmm. of it and the other thing that you sp- speak about in your ted talk is just the the isolation that he kind of went through and i think that you know you look back the last few years i think there's many people that can identify with that isolation piece of it so mm-hmm. um so as far as that goes, was he was he always isolated or was it recent or or how did that work in, or play into it? Yeah, no, my dad was very active in our community. He was very active in our church. He was on um, our local lumber company board. He was on um, a wind energy board. So he was very involved and was known to be incredibly outgoing and would talk to anyone. And so um, when our family started noticing these changes and it, it progressed pretty quickly. Um, we brought him into our local, um, local clinic and they started, that's where he got the initial diagnosis of anxiety. And then it, um, he ended up going inpatient in Marshall, Minnesota for a little bit, but wasn't making any progress. And so 
once it reached the point of, okay, my dad is obviously not at home right now anymore, like that he was getting treatment, um, it became a little bit difficult to know how much to share because we were trying to respect his privacy. We didn't know what the future looked like, but also planting season was, or no harvest. It was harvest. Harvest season was right on the cusp. And we knew if he was still in in the hospital, we were going to need to rely on other people to help us. And so we were trying, it was this delicate balance of, will he be out of the hospital in time? If he is, will he be able to, um, to harvest his own crop are we going to need to have some people help us what's that going to look like and so um so we were kind of that was just really tricky and that's when the isolation started was when people didn't really know because we weren't incredibly open about what we were going through I mean mental illness when this was all going on so this was about 2013 yeah 2013 we have made so much progress in the last nine years that that was such a concept that people were really uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm, And I think that's what led to the isolation because people didn't necessarily know how to talk to him. They didn't want to hurt him. And it was just really uncomfortable. And because it was so taboo and it wasn't necessarily the other people's, our, our community members fault. It was, it's, it was the fault of the stigma that we've placed on mental health and mental right. illness for so long. And so that's, I think, where the isolation came in of people didn't know how to how to talk to him. If they should talk to him, they didn't know how he was doing. And then you have the stigma of being crazy and insane with being in a um, behavioral health facility and and so it's there was a lot of things that we were trying to combat at one time along with us not really knowing what's going on so we didn't know what to share with other people it was just a lot and so that's when the isolation i think started a little bit um but then farming the career of farming in general is just isolating too um and so i wonder sometimes if that's maybe what led led to some of those things because you're an attractor for hours and hours and hours a day and um and so i think that that plays a little bit of a part into that social social isolation that just comes with farming yeah so go into that a little bit more wendy give people um an idea of why why is farming so isolated and why is it exactly um i think a lot of people can come to assumptions of why um you would feel uh more polarized at a harvest or at a planting season i think people can relate to that but it's like what what are the actual things what are the mechanics of being a farmer yeah so well and it, it looks different for everybody so by the end our farm was um corn and soybeans and then um like he would do some alfalfa i don't exactly know they right term for it but we had alfalfa and um just yeah taking care of our farm property whereas before we would have we had livestock too so we had um quite a few head of cattle and so it looks different depending on what your specific situation looks like so i mean when we did have livestock it was you wake up early 
and feed them. You have to feed them at night. So like even vacations are really hard because if you want to go on a family vacation, you have to have someone do that all for you. But you wake up early, you're out there by yourself. I mean, you have the livestock out there, but um, making sure that they're getting fed would come in, say um, bye to us. And he would wake us up and like help us in the mornings a little bit, but then would, um, then we'd all go to school. My mom was a teacher, so she left early too. And so we would go to school and then he was at home all day doing stuff on the farm, working on his machinery and, and he could do it himself. We didn't, we maybe had one or two hired people at a time, but it wasn't like we had this huge farming operation where he was interacting with a bunch of people throughout the day and so um, depending on what time of year it was he'll be either working on his machinery or out in the field um, just planting or harvesting whatever it may be picking rock and you're, you're doing all of that by yourself I mean it's not like you can pay a friend to come sit with you because that is your livelihood every single day you are out there by yourself um And so that's when finding ways to interact with other farmers is really important. I remember when I would have piano lessons after school and then my dad would pick me up and then drop my other sibling off for piano lessons. So then we had some time to kill, an hour, I think, to kill. Um, And so we would go to um, a local uh, like tractor dealership and my dad would talk for the entire time and I hated it at the time because I was like do we have to go and like talk farm talk for a half hour to an hour like it was just like it was so predictable because it happened after every piano lesson but um looking back on it that time was so important that he could interact with people who understood fully the profession that he was in and what what farming is and just talking with your friends because it's like I go to work every day at Augie and I have friends just there and I get to talk to them and be with them and in farming you just don't have that unless you are running a huge operation which then other stressors come into play there too Um, and so it it just does become very very isolating and very um, an independent career and so I think that's something that Um, leads to the higher levels of depression and anxiety within that occupation. Quick pause. We appreciate you listening to this week's guest on the Mandate Podcast. To support the Mandate Podcast, please, if you like this episode, share it with a friend. Also, like and subscribe to the podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at MandatePod or shoot us an email at Mandate.Pod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. Um, Wendy, what, um, you talk about stigmas, uh, mm-hmm. and they're still very clear and evident, yes. uh, especially here in the Midwest. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like, uh, there, there is, uh, some hope coming yep. down the road and people are talking about it more and viewing it mm-hmm. as a legitimate disease. Yep. Um, but what can, what can listeners do, uh, to help, what's the word, unstigmatize? Destigmatize. Destigmatize. Let's yeah, do that. Uh, destigmatize mental health. Yeah. And so everyone will come from a different place. Mm-hmm. What I 
the approach that I use is just being vulnerable and being honest about my experiences with with my dad, but also with myself. I mean, after my dad passed away, I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression as well. And um, I took medication for a while just to really help me get through that really hard time after my dad had passed away. Um, but it looks different for everybody. And I think one easy place that we can start at is just paying attention to the language that we use. Um, it doesn't require you to share your story or share your feelings. It just requires you to be a, pay a little bit more attention to the words that you're using. I think sometimes when um, people are trying to say that they're nervous for something, they're like, oh, I'm really anxious right now. And it's like anxiety is a um, diagnosable illness in the DSM-5. And so anxiousness and anxiety like that is a um a disorder and so it's like are you nervous like are you situationally feeling feelings that you're uncomfortable with but they'll go away once that big event happens or are you actually having like a constant state of anxiety about not just this situation but every situation that's going to follow it too like there is a stark difference there and I think that that's something that people don't necessarily realize that um, that does contribute to the stigma. And then when talking about um, sadness and depression, like there's a stark difference between being sad and being depressed as well. And so I think that's a starting place for people who don't necessarily know where to start is just like thinking of the language that you're using and just being aware that every person around you is going through something and it's so cliche but is going through something that you just have no idea and so that's I think been my biggest revelation after my dad passed away it's like people had were shocked when my dad died by suicide you would have never guessed that he was a very successful farmer very nice um has four kids my mom and him were married for over 30 years and so they're just, it, it's just kind of like unexpected. You would just never, never assume that that's how someone's life would end when they have all of that. And so when I, after my dad passed away, I remember someone, there was a, a card and in there it said like, I just like for me looking at your family, you were always the perfect family. And that was the biggest, um, point for me where I was like literally no family is perfect mm -hmm. and everyone is going through something and it's just people aren't so open about it and so um I think just realizing that like before you're um judging someone's behavior or looking at a houseless person on the side of the street it's like there's a lot of factors that led to that happening that honestly you might even have some similarities with if you took the time to ask the questions and get to know the person and so I think instead of judging or assuming like just just don't do that mm. I I it sounds so simple, but it is really hard. But mm -hmm. I think that's been one of my biggest lessons that I've learned following um, my dad's death is mm -hmm. just that like there's a lot of similarities between you and the person standing next to you wherever you are. Mm -hmm. And so not judging them by their worst and just, um, yeah, I think 
giving them the opportunity to tell their own story versus you writing a narrative that might fit a few behaviors that you see within the person. Well, and even through your TED talk and, and the way that you talk about your dad today, it's it's just, you speak with him so glowingly and so beautifully and Thank so you. need to remember him in who he really was and not for the disease. I mean, we don't remember people for any disease they have, we remember them who they are. So it's beautiful how, how you bring that out in him. So yeah, thank you. And that's, um, I think always one of my favorite compliments to receive is that I just want them to know that he was a human, like yeah. he was a person and he was a person that's similar to probably a lot of people that someone knows, you know, and so it can really happen to anyone at any time. And my dad's diagnosis um, or diagnoses came when he was 63 years old. Mm, wow. And so, but Ben, as you said, it is such a problem, mental health, mental illness. Suicide is the number one leading cause of death for 11 to 19 year olds in the state of South Dakota. It's the number two leading cause of death for 20 to 29 year olds in the state of South Dakota. And so for um, the listeners, like you said, uh, of mandate, it is, it's a, a huge concern and it's something that we should really be um, making a priority within um, our state to figure out how we can better support the mental health infrastructure. So you brought up a couple of the triggers for specifically for your dad and you made a mm-hmm. great point that everyone's going to be a little bit different. Like there's some yes. things looking back now you're like, oh, that, that was a, a symptom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we likely have someone in our life uh, or some other, like more than one person that's dealing with someone that has some of these triggers. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can we do uh, to support and to get them to talk more about themselves and be vulnerable and get them to a place where they can be like, I need help? Because that I feel like that's one of the hardest mm-hmm. questions in the human race yeah. to say yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I could say to you, Wendy, you need help, mm-hmm. right? That's, that may be easier. I think it's still very difficult for us to call other people mm-hmm. out, but I think the most difficult thing is to say, I need help. Yeah. How can sure. we get people, what questions do we need to be asking? How do we get in front of those people and say, get them to a point where they can say to themselves, okay, I do need help. Yeah. So it's a, it's a big question that I probably don't necessarily have the exact answer to. Well, and I can I just, give you a little time, Wendy, to think about it because I'll, I'll tell yeah. you my story. So you think about it while I tell a little bit about okay. myself. Uh, I, my mom has severe anxiety mm-hmm. uh, and depression. My sister has high anxiety. And I always would try to uh, eliminate that, uh, that stigma, right? Yeah. And be like, oh, I don't have that. Mm-hmm. And even if I do, I always qualm it in the gym. I work out and that's my anxiety medication. Mm -hmm. Well, then I got into a job that was highly, highly stressful. And it was so triggering for me when you said uh, that there are just uh, times where you are, you're anxious about everything, Mm -hmm. right? Not just that specific issue, not that big thing you're anxious about. So I was bringing that stuff home. Mm -hmm. So I was very anxious about my children. I was anxious about like the decisions my wife was making and it was, it became fully enveloped. Mm -hmm. And my mom and sister were always like, Hey, I feel like you got a little bit of anxiety. Have you ever thought about 
medication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought about medication. I do it in the gym. That's my medication. Yeah. And not until I got on an anxiety medication, went in and took mm-hmm. the, you know, the very baseline test. And my family practice doctor was like, yeah, dude, like you need to take this. Like yeah. your serotonin levels are not good. Uh, and you're, it's not getting to your brain. You're not mm-hmm. happy. Yeah. And I got on that and it changed my life to mm-hmm. the point where after six weeks on it, my wife and I are, are out on a date and she says to me, I feel like I've married a new person. You're a new person. Mm-hmm. So people, you need people in your life that are, that are saying the right things. Like, Hey, yeah. have you ever thought about this? Have, you know, you're doing this, you're doing this. Maybe you should yeah. go see someone and then being open to taking that criticism mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Okay. So I think I have my answer Got now. It. So one part of being the child or the loved one or the caretaker of someone with a um, diagnosed mental illness is that you just feel like you need to find the answers. You need to, f- you feel like you need to figure out how you can help them, how you can fix it. And I think after, I didn't learn this until after my dad passed away, but that was never my job. My job was to be there to support them when they needed it, when they needed a hug or when they needed just someone to listen to them. But I didn't need to have the right answers to say back. The best thing I feel like that people can do is to know the resources in the area that they can connect their loved one with. That is what's really important, and that's when it becomes really difficult when you you live in a rural area, because the resources for mental health, um, mental illness counseling are not available in rural areas. Um, the pandemic brought out a lot of hardships and has really exacerbated the mental health crisis. But one thing that it has done is it's made telehealth more normalized and so that is increasing access to some communities that previously didn't have it um within the state of south dakota we have 211 um and so and that is the helpline so that's going to be who i'm working for but that is a great resource to call when you don't know what the resources available to you are and so Wherever you are, whether you're in South Dakota, most states do have something similar to this. And so it can be as easy as Googling, um, like, who can I call for a list of mental health resources? Because unfortunately, there's not just a huge database that you can plug in the specific needs that you're looking for. That is a dream of mine Mm -hmm. um, to create that someday. But there's just nothing like that. But we do have in South Dakota that. Um, the resource at the Helpline Center that are connected to a bunch of different resources. And it's not only just um, counseling that's going to help people, right? Sometimes, um, I mean, I look at where I, I came from, a very privileged standpoint of where we had food, we had housing, but a lot of times those are um, other um, intricacies that add to the complexities of mental health and mental illness. And so um, the Helpline also helps with um, that as well and and child care too and so there's a lot of resources out there um, and it's just important to have an idea of where you can go when you need a list of resources because um, it, it's too much pressure and and an unfair burden to put it on yourself that you, that you're supposed to have all of the answers because there are people out there and resources out there to help you during that 
So I, one thing I want to, I do want to destigmatize then is that that call, that call mm-hmm. to helpline. So you haven't started yeah. yet, but what does that call look like? Let's say I call in, I'm having, I, I, I hope people are not calling when they have like suicidal thoughts where they're like on the ground floor. But unfortunately, a part of me is assuming that's when they actually do call. Yep, that um, does happen. When it's really, really dark and mm-hmm. it's probably at the bottom of the stairwell maybe not the top of the stairwell yeah but let's say i'm in the middle of the stair and i'm having these very anxious thoughts my heart's Mm -hmm. beating i'm not sleeping my big thing for for me personally was i wasn't sleeping well it was severely affecting my sleep Mm -hmm. so i call 211 and what's that conversation going to look like to be honest i'm not really sure Mm -hmm. because i haven't one i haven't started there yet and i actually did call 211 once for someone else um and so it was very much like okay what can i help you with it was a very calm well-trained person on the other end of the on the other end of the line which was awesome but they'll basically just kind of assess where you're at whether it's like an emergency situation or not and then um talk about what your options are and give you a list and it's really really helpful and it's something that I honestly wish I would have done sooner um and it's it's really funny is not the right word but it's just it all is coming full circle because after my dad passed away and I was working at the psychiatric treatment center. Um, one of the individuals that worked there was like, Wendy, I think you should call two one one and um get in touch with them and about their suicide loss, their survivor suicide loss groups. Um, because I think that'd be really beneficial for you to connect with other people who have had this similar experience. And I was so scared to call them that I just never did. Yeah. And I think that would have helped me tremendously. But it was, it was so scary for me to pick up the phone and call. And so I just didn't do it. Mm. And now here I am leading that program that they were telling me would benefit me. And so now I can come from it from the point of being a survivor of suicide loss and think, okay, what can we do so that more people pick up the phone and right. call? Because it is not scary. It is it Well, it is scary. And those feelings are very valid. But it is so incredibly helpful. And... um. And so that's something that I need to think about a little bit more of like, how can we make it more accessible? And like, I think texting someone's less scary than picking up the phone and calling someone. Um, And so just thinking of the ways that we can eliminate barriers to make sure that individuals feel comfortable reaching out for help. Because as you said, a lot of people do reach out for help when they're on, on the floor on the lowest possible point and they have literally nowhere else to turn and in a dream world of mine something that I always say is I would do anything to live in a proactive society versus a reactive society to tragedy in terms of mental health and mental illness because um, if we're taking care of our mental health like we are making it a priority to go to the gym um, for our physical health then I think we'd see a lot healthier South Dakota and a lot healthier world in general. And so how can we not only seek counseling or seek things that are good for our minds and our well-being without having to hit rock bottom first to do that? Yeah, that's really good. I think even like having, I mean, you go to the, your physical doctor, like whatever, or I'd call it physical family practice or whatever you want to call it once Once a year. year. Why not do that with, I mean, I go to a counselor Mm -hmm. 
fairly regularly just because that's it is something that i believe in it's yeah and they do struggle with those feels every once in a while too so mm-hmm. yeah that's very good yeah. yeah, I just want to destigmatize it, right? Just yeah. just mm-hmm. pick up the phone call. I think that's a great idea, Wendy, the texting. And the texting may turn into a call. Right. And I think they might even have that now. Do they? They might. Yeah. There, There is text for hope numbers out there and text lines that um, aren't connected with the helpline center too that are more um, specific to certain um, situations as well. Yeah. Um, so... And there's the farm and rural stress hotline too through Avera. So that's specifically for farmers, right. which is um, really, really awesome too. So there are um, niche uh, ways that you can seek help, but there's also the more general um, ways too. And so we've made a lot of progress and will continue to do so, but it, it takes time. Yeah. Well, I'm going to change subjects. So we're going to come back to... Uh, maybe some baseline resources that we can give our listeners. So we'll end our conversation there. But one thing I, I want to, I want to flip the script on yeah. uh, is Wendy, you are going to be running for the house of representatives. Yes. Uh, and you've been asked to do this. Yep. Um, I think a lot of the publicity that you're getting is from your Ted talk mm-hmm. uh, and people are understanding your name and your brand and what you're going to do for this state. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a, it's a wonderful thing, but it's also a great responsibility. Yes. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself as a politician, what you're running on, why are you running? And, and one thing I really want people to understand, when I met Wendy, this would have been last week, mm-hmm. um, she brought up that, she, you brought up the fact that you were one of, if not the youngest person to ever talk on the TED stage in South Dakota. Is that in, correct? In the Sioux Falls. Sioux Falls, I at mean. At the time. But yeah. now there, with the recent one, there was a younger one, and it, she was phenomenal, Manal. Yes. Um, but yes, at the time, yes. So I, I want to displace this age discrimination because mm-hmm. Wendy is still a young person, yeah. but when you're around her, you think that she's like a 60-year-old. You have, you're <laughs> such an old soul. Thank you. Old soul, that looks. We have a, exactly, we have a <laughs> mutual friend, and uh, the mutual friend, Kelly, uh, said... Yeah, she's an old soul. Very mature. And do not let the age... I mean, I'm sure there's people going to be running against you. I'm sure they're going to use that against you. I hope that they don't because we need to be... When we are investing our vote, mm-hmm. right, our, our democratic vote, mm-hmm. uh, we need to be doing it on the basis of issues. Yes. And what are you going to accomplish? Not age, not yep. color, mm-hmm. not... If I've got more gray hairs than you. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have some gray hairs though. Amen. <laughs> so do I. Well, the few hairs that I have, are some of them are gray. Uh, and so I want to displace that age discrimination. Um, so now. Yeah. Talk to us, Wendy. Why should people vote? Why should people vote for you? We know why they should vote. <laughs> well, um, yeah, as you said, I am running for office and it's... Um, super exciting and i feel the closer it gets to election which is november 8th so everyone vote on november 8th if you are in um, south dakota Uh, but it is truly never something that i ever really saw myself doing Um, but after tedx and then i was also in the billy sutton leadership institute and within the leadership institute you do um, 
a community engagement project and mine was on um, increasing mental health awareness within the state of South Dakota. And so um, TEDx ended up actually being part of that. That was one of the speaking engagements that I had um, for my community engagement project. And so um, that was just a really great, great way to get my name out there. Um, And so after that, um, there was an individual who has um, ran some legislative campaigns in Sioux Falls, in the Sioux Falls area, and has had some success with some of his candidates. And so he asked to meet with me and asked me to run for office. And it was kind of a surreal moment of like this person sees something in me and I think that it's something that I should take time to recognize within myself too. And when he asked me, the only reason I was going to say no was because I was really scared. (laughs) And um, the two other times that I had had that exact same feeling was when I was asked to MC for the Sky Force and when I was thinking about giving this TED Talk. And so that's when I was like, you know, maybe this is the right thing to be doing. Um, I've I really struggled with being involved in politics, even I would say probably when I moved back to Sioux Falls in 2016, just because the word politics has such a divisive um, connotation with it. And that is, I am not a divisive person. I I try to be someone who brings people together. And so um, when I started becoming more engaged and getting invited to legislative coffee sessions and focusing on what's happening at legislative sessions and in peer, um, that's when I realized that politics is really putting your passions into policy to create a better South Dakota for people that you care about. Mm. And um, not only people that you care about, the people who are different than you too. And so it's just about making um, lives better and South Dakota just uh, an even better place to live than it already is. And so when I realized that that's really what politics is, is your passion and policy to make the world better and make your state better, that was when it became something that I could really, really get behind. And so um, my passions are mental health and education. And I thoroughly believe that when you invest in both education and um, mental health, that you'll see a greater economic impact within your community, within your state. And so that's that's really what I'm hopeful for and what I um, hope to work towards um, when I'm elected. And so that's definitely my, my passion areas. I've worked in higher education, but my mom was also a teacher. So I know how important it is um, to pay our teachers adequately and to, um, it all kind of goes together, especially when you think of um, the mental health within our students in our school districts that affects how um, classrooms are going and how um, how they're interacting in the classrooms and that affects teachers and the retention of teachers and so it all kind of goes hand in hand and I think when we as um, a state take the time to focus on those issues that really matter and really affect our everyday lives our children's lives our neighbors lives that then that's when we'll see um, some real, real progress being made. Wendy, you are a fascinating human being. (laughs) Thank you. And we are honored that uh, you would grace us with your presence and your voice for mandate. Um, You're a very promising candidate. And uh, yeah, please go out and vote November 8th. Uh, You'll hear a lot more from Wendy as that time gets a little bit closer. Uh, But if you have a vote, make sure that you go out and do that. Mm -hmm. That is your right as an American citizen. But 
uh, we here at Mandate feel like it is also your responsibility. Yes. Uh, so please sure. go out. Please go out and vote. Um, all right, Wendy. So we are nearing our, the end of our time. Um, you know, we talked a lot of it about mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, without question, someone listening to this episode right now mm-hmm. uh, that either themselves or someone very close to them uh, is dealing with something. Yeah. And there are a bajillion different resources out there for them. There's just not a great place to find those. Yep. Uh, and so where are the first three places that you're going to direct people to so that they can just get in touch with someone that can that can help them? Yeah. So like I said, um, South Dakota has the helpline, which will connect you with a lot of different resources. And if you dial 211, um, you'll be connected with someone who works at the helpline who can help you find those resources. And... Um, I've actually been asked by people from other states as well, like where they can go. And so I've found that there are helplines within other states too. So I would just Google um, whether or not the state you live in has a helpline center that can connect you with the specific resources that you're looking for. Um, otherwise, if someone's in a place where they're they're really struggling and they really don't know that they're even capable of looking that up, um, finding someone that you trust and that that loves you that will be willing to help you find those resources so I would first see if there's a helpline um, within your state or your area Um, and then I would um, if that isn't an option connect with someone that you really trust and ask them to help you find um, find resources because they are out there Um, and then third if well and this should actually be first if you're in a place where you are um suicidal or you're contemplating suicide um the suicide prevention lifeline is 1-800-273-8255 um and so that is 24 7 available all of the time and soon here in july 988 will now be the mental health crisis number for equivalent to a 911 and so 988 in july will become um a nationwide resource and so um, it's not quite here yet. Can't get here fast enough, mm-hmm. but um, that will be coming soon as well. So utilizing that resource will be great. Very, very cool. Um, you know, one thing that Wendy talks about in her TED Talk, or the main thing she talks about in herself uh, is her dad. And her dad uh, was a human, a mm-hmm. human being. And the one thing that really uh, gets me, gives me hope and makes me smile and and makes it reminds me that humanity is a wonderful place is that when other humans are in crisis you think that you're isolated Mm -hmm. but all these people are going to rally around you Mm -hmm. so it may be hard to tell someone yeah but there there are so many people around you in your life in your social world or in your family that care deeply about you and you may think in your in in your in your brain that they're going to not receive that news well Mm-hmm. But I guarantee they are going to receive that news and all they want to do is help. Mm-hmm. That's like baseline for humans is when people are in crisis, we step up. Mm-hmm. And we definitely do that here in South Dakota. And it's something I'm really, really proud of yeah. here in the Midwest and in South Dakota is the, the, the way we rally around communities mm-hmm. and how we rally around people when they yeah. are in crisis. So please, if you take nothing from this, Wendy's number two of what you should do if you or your friend 
is is struggling with something is is have the courage have a moment mm-hmm. of courage to tell that mm-hmm. what you're struggling with with someone because we want to help yep yep and if you notice behaviors in someone that are changing ask ask how you can support them yep. or just do it yeah more do yep do right it. Mm-hmm. yeah we learned that from megan Megan Rolag, who had a had a daughter um, pass away mm-hmm. at birth, and she's like, D- "Just do things. Just yeah. don't ask to do things. Yep. Just do them. It's yep. way more helpful to mm-hmm. just do." So start acting, people. Yep. Start doing. Uh, start having some emotional intelligence and get in get in line with that, so that you can understand what people are going through. Yeah. And so just go do. Mm-hmm. Wendy, this has been really special. Really yes. thankful that you're here. I'm glad to be here. It's a great conversation. Great. Wendy, thank you so much. I appreciate just getting to know you and hearing more about uh, your story. So yeah. we're going to affect some lives yes. here on the Mandate Podcast. I love it. Good. We'll see you next time on Mandate. Mandate does not exist without your continued support or the fact that you, KPP, keep pressing play. Another great episode of the Mandate Podcast is behind us. But here's something you can look forward to. Check out next week's podcast. Also, like and subscribe. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. Find us on Instagram at MandatePod. Or send us an email, mandate.pod at gmail.com. Who knows? We might reference your email or call you out in episode. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash MandatePod. There's three easy ways to support monthly basis and all of the funds go right back into this podcast. KPP, keep pressing play. See you next time on Mandate.